Good evening. Welcome to the Marionette Theater. Tonight we're going to be taking a visit to an early 2000s take on a horror film turned musical. It's a musical romance set at a Paris opera house where things go bump in the night or behind the stage. Hello there, Mr. Smelly. How are you this fine evening? I'm good, I'm good. I'm all spooked up because here we are in the balcony of uh, our little theater here. And that's what I meant to say at the uh, Marionette Theater. And we're in the, and it just feels like the fan could be anywhere. The Phantom of the Opera, the DJ, could be anywhere around us up here in the balcony. That's how spooky it is when all the lights are off. This show tonight is a listener request. Now, we got a little behind catching up on our fan mail. And uh, last fall, we got a letter from a listener named Nicole. Not, no, not the greetings from nowhere, Nicole. But a lady named Nicole said that this is one of her favorite films. So, of course, that means one thing. That's our sound for a listener request. Norman the Loons, they're back. So, uh, Toppy, it is uh, the beginning of March, and we're just around the corner from changing our clocks. Um, Are you enjoying this, uh, in theory, end of winter weather? Well, it doesn't feel like end of winter. It's been bloody cold here. (laughs) <laughs> bloody cold uh but i do hear that uh, in in some days ahead uh, we're going to be in the 50s and it's going to be more seasonable i'm certainly looking forward to that yeah you know looking out my windows uh it, it's very misleading because there's a fair bit more of this the uh, the old vitamin e coming through the windows than there has been And uh, I will tell you that I am looking forward to the warmer weather, if for no other reason than I could actually leave my house to do something other than just going to get groceries. I like to take a morning walk. It's part of my own uh, sort of uh, self-therapy. It's a time for me to relax and unwind before I've got to clock in for the Mm -hmm. day. So I'm very much looking forward. uh, I've taken that walk with you at least a couple times. It's Mm -hmm. a nice walk. Yeah, we we got a nice... uh, little view here along the canal and uh, you can even see uh, a uh, a row of churches so speaking of uh church going ladies uh, is there uh, mm-hmm. the senior showgirl in the house yeah yeah of course i'm here and once again i could have been cast in this movie as christine nobody asked me but i could have sung the hell out of this i mean you know really anyways i could have Whatever. Go ahead. <laughs> now, I heard it on good authority that you had a story about a chandelier that fell here one time. Oh, right here in the Marionette Theater. Yeah. Yeah, we had. Okay. So it wasn't exactly a chandelier, all right? But it was our main light fixture up there on the ceiling. And, well, okay, we didn't exactly have a phantom drop it on the audience. Well, okay, it was just dry rot. 
Okay, oh. it dropped. <laughs> Anyways, that's the story. Yeah, and then there was that creepy maintenance guy. He was, uh, you know, pretty ghastly. But uh, anyways, uh, ma'am. Yeah, uh, yeah, so ma'am, if you could uh, get your way downstairs there, let the folks know what we're watching tonight. All right, I'm on my way. Go ahead. Young Christine is an aspiring actress at one of the City of Lights' most attended venues, Le Opera Populaire. <clears throat> Pardon my French. <clears throat> oh. As a child, she lost her father and turned to the stage to find her new home. But recent mysterious events have the owners selling out. Will Christine fall for the handsome new investor? Will she let the mysterious voice from her dressing room woo her? Grab your gloves and get gussied up for a night on the town. It's time to find out who is the Phantom of the Opera? What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies? And a smidgen of screaming? It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host DJ and Tommy. Well, it is a special occasion here, of course. As you heard earlier, this is a listener request. And it's actually one of very few times that uh, we have a musical. Yeah. We had Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Mm-hmm. I guess, could you call Phantom of the Paradise a musical? I guess it was. Yeah, I would say so. And, you know, ironically, we keep coming back to the City of Lights, Paris, which is the setting for yeah. the show. That's right. What did we do? We did Le Moulin Rouge with the Can Can Girls and Madame Satine shortly after her divorce from Tommy Boy. <laughs> and, you know, um, for those of you who haven't caught this film, uh, or maybe you have. Here's a little teaser of how things went down on the silver screen. Please, Monsieur, there's no one there. Or if there is, well then, it must be a ghost. Some of you may recall the strange affair the Phantom of the Opera. It's him, the Phantom of the Opera. Disaster beyond your imagination will occur. Do not fear for Miss Diane. The angel of music has her under his wing. 
Make no attempt to see her again. So this was, uh, it was basically a movie that was made of a play and, you know, not everybody can get out to the, the theater. So why not put it on the silver screen so you could see what all the talk was about? This movie came out in 2004. Why don't you tell us what was going on in the world in 2004? Okay, well, the U.S. history in 2004. 15 years ago now? So, (laughs) Senator John Kerry wins the Iowa caucuses, and that was a victory towards party nomination for the presidency that election season. Well, that didn't last too long. Anyways. The city and county of San Francisco began issuing same-sex marriage licenses. Wow. Mm. All that time ago. Wow. Groundbreakers. The last Oldsmobile rolled off the assembly line of GM. They were cutting, they, they were pinching their pennies and uh, scaling back the lines. The final episode of Friends that show that uh, um, a uh, close friend of yours likes to rewatch. That aired on NBC in 2004 and the finale had 66 million viewers. Hmm. Also in 04, after San Francisco, Massachusetts. They legalized same-sex marriage, and the dedication of the National World War II Memorial took place in Washington, D.C. Also, Ronald Reagan, the 40th president of the United States, died at his home in Bel Air, California, at the ripe age of 93. So he he lasted. Uh, Also in Mojave, California, Spaceship One became the first privately funded space plane to achieve space flight. So it's no longer a government game. It was that long ago? Holy cow. Also, in 2004, a symbolic cornerstone was laid for the reconstruction of One World Trade Center in New York City, the Twin Towers. And uh, all uh, Pixar, in uh, film news, Pixar Animation Studios' sixth feature film, The Incredibles, is released in theaters. And uh, on television, Brian Williams, well, he replaced Tom Brokaw as weeknight anchor for NBC Nightly News. And just a couple of other things here. The biggest Chinese PC producer, Lenovo, they announced their plans to purchase IBM's global PC business. So the ThinkPad that every businessman had in the 90s, now it's made by Lenovo these days. And that made them the third largest world PC maker after Dell and Hewlett Packard. Well, I'll be darned. Uh, I want to... Uh, just welcome the chat room and um, 
here with us tonight is your hubby Billy, the DJ. He's here. Uh, so is our dear friend Janet from another planet. Oh. And also Tommy Hash Browns, as always, joining us. Thank you, Tommy. Oh, and, and glad you're all with us. And uh, welcome back, Lady Janet. It's been a while. So top there you go. 2004. It wasn't all that long ago, so, you know, um, some folks are still registering to vote nowadays from then. So tell us uh, who left us that year that made it in the history books. All right. Well, there's a dancer. She passed away at the age of 80. It's Ann Miller. Cicely Adams, uh, she's the daughter of Don Adams. She passed away the age of 46, Paul Winfield. Uh, we know him from so many things on TV and movies. He passed away at the age of 64. Richard Biggs, he was in Babylon 5, passed away at uh, 44 years of age. Oh, my goodness. That famous, famous musician, Ray Charles, uh, passed away at 73. Marlon Brando, wacky, wacky doodle Marlon <laughs> Marlon Brando, passed away at age 80. Cherry Goldsmith, while well, he's that uh, musician, composer of five million movies that you know so hard. God, he was good. Oh, so many good soundtracks from that guy, Jerry Goldsmith. Rick James, another musician. Uh, Faye Ray, why, you know her. She was the screaming queen from King Kong. Faye Ray, she passed away at age 96. Uh, that cook, that sh uh, 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 French uh, cuisine cook, <laughs> Julia Child. Yeah. She was uh, passed away at 91. Mm -hmm. She was a spy. Did you know that, DJ? Well, I mean, you know, aside from the spying, I think that that cooking sherry kept her young. <laughs> I think so. I th I saw her throw around a few uh, rolling pins after a, a good glass or two. Anyways, <laughs> Janet Leigh, why she was in that uh, uh, psycho she passed away at age 77. Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, he's that comedian uh, that, uh, you know, I don't get any respect. And he passed away at 82. Christopher Reeve. Oh, my goodness. Far too young. Uh, he's our Superman. He's, he's the best Superman ever. Passed away at 52. Howard Keel, actor, passed away at 85. And finally, John Drew Barrymore. Uh, of the Barrymore acting family. Uh, he passed away at age 72, way back then in 2004. Okay, so um, just a, a couple of caveats here on those names that uh, left us that year. Do you know what also makes Janet Lee famous? Well, um, I'm bright. Gosh. Uh, well, she was in a lot of moods, but, but tell me. She's Jamie Lee Curtis's mama. Oh, well, okay, sure. From, uh, sure. from of course, many movies, but uh, firstly, the Halloween films. And then um, also Howard Keel. You may not know this uh, about Mr. Keel, but he was Miss Ellie on Dallas's second husband. So, J.R. Stepdaddy. Okay, no, I, 
I was familiar with the name, but I cannot could not place him. But I do remember, yeah, he replaced the original Daddy on Dallas. Yeah. So in two thousand four, because Phantom of the Opera, at least in uh, Tonight Show, was a, a movie that was made that year. Well, uh, in the theaters in two thousand four, there was a little bit of a competition for the box office, and of course, we like the underdog here at Matinee Minutia, so it's no secret that Phantom. Well, no, no, didn't rake it in. But um, you know, as as we have learned, as we do our homework here. It's all about timing, as they say in the biz, because uh, this movie came out for the Christmas season that year. So you can't really count them for the 2004 releases because that's just when they got, you know, out there. Anyways, so 2004 was a year of sequels. The top three included Shrek 2. Brought in $441 million, and of course that starred the voices of Mike Myers and Cameron Diaz. And number two, it's a comic book franchise turned to live action with one of your favorites, Toppy. Spider-Man 2 with Mr. Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst. It brought in $373 million. Now, I bet you you won't guess the uh, number three spot there, Toppy. I, I don't know. Who was Oh, it? well, I will tell you this. This is a movie that I probably won't ever see. And it was directed by um, the captain of the Tinfoil Hat Squad, uh, Mr. Mel Gibson. And uh-huh. uh, it was The Passion of the Christ. It brought in $370 million that year. Yeah. Yep. So uh, getting closer to the topic of conversation, Phantom, uh, well, it, it uh, was, you know, somewhere around the middle of the year's returns. But the movie that it did one better than Phantom, placing it at number 140 that year, it only brought in 51 million, but it starred heartthrob Josh Hartnett in a little film called Wicker Park. Basically, it's about a man who. Uh, sees a lady that could be his late lover's double, and he swears that she's her. So he spends the movie uh, racing after her. And uh, one less than Phantom was a film called Darkness. It brought in $22 million. It was filmed in Spain, so it's it's not a uh, a widely viewed film. However, it does star a comic book turned live action star Anna Paquin, who played Rogue in the X Men films with Patrick Stewart. Hmm. And leave us not forget her fine, fine, fine <clears throat> performance in the piano. <laughs> the piano. Uh, I think she, yeah, she won an Oscar for it. Hmm. To get back to the movie, uh, the movie opened and and completely reminded me of how the musical on stage opened, which I'd completely forgotten about. Mm -hmm. And it it starts with that, um, they're having an auction of, of this paraphernalia from this theater that had been closed. And one of the items is the chandelier, the infamous chandelier that drops. And uh, a very, very, very magical moment 
at the beginning of the musical is the raising of the chandelier in the theater coming back to life as we go back in time to hear and see the tale of the Phantom of the Opera. Uh, and, you know, it, it, I, I just remember on stage how absolutely magical that was. And I'd completely forgotten about it. And it kind of recaptures it in the uh, in this movie. It, it begins the same way. And I remember when I saw the production, they actually incorporate an element of audience participation to a degree where in the uh, Toronto production, at least, they rigged it so that there was a mock-up of that chandelier and it was placed well enough close to the stage that no one was actually in harm's way. But they did swing it down when the chandelier fell. So the folks in the audience actually got to take part of the falling. Well, you mean it seemed to be menacing them. Is that what you mean? Yes. They like were, it, seemed, it seemed to be going right for them. Right. They, went, they weren't quite sure that it wasn't going to hit them. It was an illusion. It was a great magic trick, but you felt like you were actually part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had nosebleed seats when I saw it, <laughs> so I was very far away mm-hmm. um, when I saw it on stage. Anyways, the one that I'm thinking of was with Claude Rains, and it was in the 40s. And I think that is the version where he's in a print shop and he gets somehow burned there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, that also um, – gives a bit more of the backstory of the Phantom in that, because in some versions of the story, the Phantom has known Christine for a while. He actually becomes um, sort of her, her, her mentor, her sponsor. And so he, he, in theory, he is, you know, paying for her lessons in one way or in another. Uh, anyways, in, in this version, uh, to, you know, sort of a spoiler, in this version, they actually give a, 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 a new twist on the story. The, um, the house manager, the only lady who speaks French, seems to know the Phantom a little bit more uh, than the other. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, right. there is a scene later on in the film, more than halfway through, where it's explained that as a girl, she had met him in what would nowadays be called like a sideshow, and he was disfigured then. So it may have been a birth hmm. defect in this version of the story. And um, it, okay. it ties it to the beginning of the film because one of the items being auctioned off is a music box. And that happens to take uh, a role in the scene when he's in that sideshow. It may be his only possession at the time. So one has to wonder if maybe that was the only thing he had left of his family that gave him up. Hmm. Okay. All right. <laughs> it should be noted, this is the first time the story of the Phantom of the Opera is actually anything but a horror story. Because originally, the uh, the first, actually there were about four 
productions of the Phantom of the Opera story were all horror films. And then, of course, Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber decided, let's make it a musical because there are some romantic elements here at play. It was originally a novel, a French novel. It was written just before the turn of the century. And it was about, uh, it was written loosely based upon some factual occurrences that took place at a Paris opera house. So that's what made it so thrilling, is that it was partly based on true stories that have been told. Yeah, that's right. It was written by Gaston Leroux. And he had sort of gained some fame by writing a lot of uh, um, detective novels that were fairly popular. And uh, his his novel, Le Fantôme de l'Opera, uh, was originally serialized in newspapers in French and American and English newspapers. And, uh, you know, it was pretty popular. Uh, it was eventually published as a novel in 1910. And uh, Gaston LaRue never really lived long enough uh, to see the success his original novel had when it came to future productions, the most immediate one being the 1925 Universal Pictures movie with Lon Chaney, um, he, because he died in, in uh, right around then. And he, he never really, he never really knew how famous his little novel would become in other productions and talk about other productions. <laughs> Let's just let's just say Phantom of the Opera, this little novel uh, from Gaston LaRue uh, uh, spawned 20 over the years, 29 different stage productions. It spawned at least five radio productions when radio was big. It went on to spawn 51 publications of fictional literature, uh, at least 16 children books, at least 10 nonfiction books. It went on to spawn eight television productions over the years. And from 1916 to 2017, Phantom of the Opera has appeared in some form or another 33 times in film. So, also, not to mention uncountable mentions in pop culture from TV shows, from everything like Married with Children up to Sex in the City, uh, referenced Phantom of the Opera. So, this really... We're going to talk about the actual story here, because uh, that, 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 after all, is what the movie is about. Phantom of the Opera was a stage play at this juncture in its life, and they decided to make this movie so folks could see what the play was all about in case they didn't get to the theater. Now, I, for one, uh, I actually did have the privilege of seeing a production of Phantom in the 90s, and uh, I will say that I'm not one who's often gotten to the theater. I've seen maybe a handful of films, only a couple of them in more major cities, but um, I did enjoy this. I, I wouldn't try to compare it to the play if you have the chance to actually see it. Uh, I do think the cast did a good job. 
in portraying their parts, but in comparison to the traditional casting that's been done in the play, um, there there are some differences. You know, Bob. In, traditionally, the person playing the Phantom is typically older. You know, uh, it's no secret that Miss Emmy Rossum playing Christine in the the film. Uh, is a person of a younger age. She's actually about 17 when they started filming this. Wow. No, you know, it's not, it, it's kind of common when there's been something uh, well known and popular on Broadway, they make it into a movie, and then nobody in the Broadway production ends up in the movie. Seems to happen a lot. Mm-hmm. But do we have any idea why this Gerard guy? Because I guess he admits he's not really a singer; he's an actor. Why? How do we know? I haven't. I didn't find it in my research. Why in the world they cast him? No, uh, I mean, uh, you know, the the those close to him didn't even know that he could sing. Um, he did take some singing lessons when he took on the role. Um, but you do bring a fair point there. Um, it, it was some time coming that this film actually finally came down the pike because Phantom of the Opera, in, uh, of course, in its iteration as a play by Mr. Uh, Andrew, Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber, made its debut in London's West End in the late 80s. I think it was about 87 or so. And uh, the the idea to turn it into a film project, it was confirmed in 89. Now, um, the studio bosses at Warner Brothers, where the Phantom fans wanted it filmed, it was originally set to star the, you know, people who played the roles on the stage. So um, I'm not sure if this is the London cast or if it's the New York cast, but Michael Crawford and Sarah Brightman. Now, Sarah Brightman... Uh, was, of course, at one point married to Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber, and the part of Christine was written in her ah. range. Okay, and then they got divorced and that fell through, right? Uh, yeah. That's why she didn't end up in the movie, because they got divorced. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, womp, womp. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm not going to say, I mean, I thought... Uh, Butler's performance and singing was fine. I didn't have mm-hmm. any problem with it in the movie whatsoever. Um, he sounded fine, uh, looked good. Uh, I was a little surprised to find out that it took him four hours to put on the makeup for the Phantom. And I had to wonder why, because he wears a damn mask that mm-hmm. covers most of the makeup. <laughs> so I'm not sure why it took four hours. Maybe it was the unmasking scene, you know, that took four hours. But as I recall watching it, I I, I don't remember really getting a good look at his face in the unmasking scene. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, it didn't make an impact on me at all. And if you remember uh, the Lon Chaney version of the unmasking scene, well, I mean, talk about iconic, but... I mean, it was a super shocker when the mask was unveiled off Lon Chaney, but I don't remember feeling that way in this musical version. So I, I don't. If his face was screwed up, it died. I, I, I don't think it was very uh, overt. Mm-hmm. 
we're going to sneak on over here to the refreshment stand where Majum Gertie will be serving up your favorites. Ooh, I'd like a malted, please. Okay. So we're going to be listening to an interview on The View with the cast of the 2004 Phantom of the Opera. And, of course, uh, The View has uh, a few folks, including Miss Barbara Walters. Emmy, I, I just, <laughs> we love this. It was such a beautiful, beautiful movie. I can't say enough about it. But I want to ask you, Emmy, you're already nominated for a Golden Globe nomination. Congratulations. 18 years old. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's uh, a big surprise and uh, such an honor, and I, I can't tell you how happy I am for all of us because the film was nominated too, and I'm just, I'm just honored so much. And the song that you sing at the end so beautifully, also nominated. Yes, indeed. Which uh, is wonderful because he needs so Andrew Lloyd Webber needs so much help <laughs> <laughs> to be nominated. Well, well, you sang it beautifully. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm sorry. Let me just tell you, everybody, just in case I don't, they don't know, this handsome man Ooh. when you actually see him is the disfigured phantom this is Raul who's in love with her and Minnie with this Italian accent the diva. is the diva the prima donna diva you know you and you're the Cinderella story 16 years old when, when they discovered you only 18 years old now I mean, even though you had been in Mystic River and you had a part in that, you know, and people had seen you in that, um, and, and you were just seven. We have a little bit of it. You were seven when you did a, a, a something with Plaza <gasps> Del. Can you imagine oh, that? You were in the Metropolitan Opera at seven years old at Plaza Del Domingo. Look at that. <laughs> wow. What was it like to audition for Andrew Lloyd Webber? It, you know, it was the funniest audition I've ever been to. I first had to pass this enormous acting screen test with Joel Schumacher, and then I got the chance to sing for Andrew in his living room. Mm. And uh, I walked in, and there he was, you know, godfather of musical theater, sitting on the couch. And I had never met him before, and uh, I walked in, and all he said to me was, Shall we? <laughs> and it was so obscure to me, because I kind of, like, thought it must be my cue to sing. Mm, so yeah. that's exactly what, what I did. What did you sing? What did you do? Do it. I, just do it. Do it. Do it. No, no, you have to go see the movie. I yeah. saw it. It was I, wonderful. Uh, do I it. I sang Think of Me and Wishing You Were Somehow. Think of me. Come on. One more. Think of me. Think of me fondly. Wow. wanted to play the Phantom that is such a sought-after role and then you come along relatively unknown I understand even your mom didn't know you knew how to sing is that true? <laughs> Yeah, I, she still doesn't know I can sing. Uh, well, you can sing. No, because I, I, whenever I mentioned to people that I was doing the movie, I could see their brain process working and say, The Phantom, you're, you're doing The Phantom. And, uh, is it a musical? Uh, yeah. And then he went, Okay, okay. Uh, and can you sing? Following Michael Crawford, who became so world famous playing The Phantom all over the world. I couldn't ever think of it like that. Well, actually, I never saw Michael Crawford play the role, and we were always trying to do something very, very, very different with the movie, you know, and then you can just focus on what we're trying to do, and we have a chance to, I think, make a much more intimate, romantic mm -hmm. oh, yeah. And we are back. So, um... No, we... You know, uh, DJ, I, I'm I'm not sure where he gets. They were trying to do something really, really different with the movie, mm -hmm. because frankly, the movie pretty much seems like the play in movie form. I don't get where they were going for something really, really different. 
Well, I think that that, that uh, is in part due to the fact that he hadn't seen the play. And, oh. <laughs> but, okay, never mind. But, but at the same token, though, um, having listened to a fair number of, you know, acting, actor interviews now, I think that that's almost a... Um, a, a regular, you know, uh, approach to somebody that uh, does the craft, as they call it, because you don't want your performance influenced by somebody else who's been in the yeah. role. So I, mm-hmm. I could see it both ways. But uh, anyways, well, uh, I, I'll, I'll say like <clears throat> Joel Schumacher, like whatever his choices were in interpreting this movie for the stage, he chose to be a little stagey. And in other words, he could have been, think of Oliver, mm-hmm. uh, the music musical from the 60s that was a stage production. Well, uh, it had all the music. But the scenery was, and 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 the telling was, you really felt like you were there at that time. Now take this movie of Phantom of the Opera, and yes, it has the scenery and and things, but it introduces, it keeps a lot of the staginess. So, for example, when the Phantom is paddling his little boat in the uh, underlayer, the flooded channels of uh, under Paris. He, the, the, the director chose not just to have candelabras all over the place, but he chose to have them rising up out of the water, which is very stagey, mm-hmm. um, very theatrical. Um, and some interesting choices uh, that I'm not sure uh, you know I, I kind of wish he hadn't done those things <laughs> but okay he did so he he made some interesting choices to keep it even though it was the movie he kept um, the uh, good lord I'm very distracted by a photo Tommy just put in the chat room anyways uh, um, <laughs> well yeah. you're on the heels of uh, the lady Janet admitting that Christine had daddy issues uh, yeah. But yeah anyways so Toppy um, the marionette has a uh, celebrated history here we were once a venue for vaudeville and you know um, we've we've had some rabbits and hats some magicians and uh, a form of magic that's performed is uh, movie making the the director of this film could you tell us a little bit about the magician the director behind the Phantom of the Opera from 2004? Uh, why, sure. That's uh, Joel Schumacher, New York City native. Uh, before he did Phantom, he did uh, Veronica Gurren in 2003 with Kate Blanchard and Brenda Fricker. I love Brenda Fricker. <laughs> uh, uh, his first theater release was actually The Incredible Shrinking Woman with Lily Tomlin Yay! And, and James Groden. That was a hoot. Uh, but he did a, about a film a year for the next five years. He did St. Elmo's Fire. A lot of people know that one with Emilio, Emilio Estevez and Rob Lowe, Demi Moore. Um, 
by the way, I guess I guess that that movie Saint Elmo's Fires is frequently confused with a, a, a to be a John Hughes movie, but no, nay nay, actually Joel Schumacher. In uh, 1990 and 91, uh, Schumacher did some work with Julia Roberts in some of her earliest films, Flatliners. Do you remember that? That looked Flatliners. like a creepy movie. It was kind of the coma movie of its day. Yeah, yeah. Um, he also did Dying Young. Uh, and okay, and this was a, a a bit of a I don't know like like different from anything he made. It was called Falling Down with Mike Doug with Michael Douglas. That was a, str- a very violent movie of just someone who became totally unhinged. Do you remember that? Did you ever see that one, DJ? I haven't watched it yet. I do remember the trailers for it, though. They were very profound. And I remember there was a scene where the main character goes into a fast food place with a gun, I think. Mm -hmm. I, I still to this day, I don't know what to make of that movie. I really don't. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure we needed to see it, <laughs> but uh, at any rate, he, he he's gone on. Joel Schumacher's gone on to do 35 uh, directing uh, credits. His last movie was in 2011. Right, and uh, we actually lost a Mr. Schumacher uh, last year here before the pandemic, so uh, he is no longer with us. We're going to shortly discuss the cast that uh, was part of this film. Toppy, there's a bunch of folks who came together to make this film, and uh, top of the list is a Scottish gentleman who got to be the Phantom, Mr. Gerard Butler. Let us know a little bit about what you know. Well, he first appeared in Mrs. Brown in 97 with uh, Dame Duty Gent. Duty. <laughs> <laughs> I meant Judy, 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 Judy Dench, and Billy Connolly. Uh, He was in Tomorrow Never Dies. That was that James Bond movie with Pierce Brosnan. Uh, His first leading role was in One More Kiss in 1999 with Valerie Edmond. And he did about like eight more films in the next five years. Uh, The biggest thing he did prior to Phantom was a movie called Timeline in 2003 with Paul Walker and Billy Connolly. Um, so, and that, oh, and after after he did a lot a lot of movie, another dozen movie roles after Phantom. Uh, he's got a total of 66 acting credits to date. And uh, so there you go. More recently, people would uh, have recognized him from a little film where he got to play a Roman soldier called 300. So there is a, a, a pretty good amount of bare flesh there. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that was certainly very, very popular. And he looked good in it. Yes. And uh, of course, uh, following Mr. Butler. The uh, the young starlet in the cast was Miss Emmy Rossum. Now, as you may have heard in the interview there, she was all of 17 when she got to play Christine opposite Mr. Butler. And uh, once or twice, somebody tried to slip it that she was 16. But, of course, 
What would a minor be doing kissing an older man? I perish the thought. Uh, she's a New York City native, and uh, she first began acting in television in the mid to late 90s. Now, in 2000, she starred in the Audrey Hepburn story. It was an ABC TV movie. And it starred uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. So, of course, Emmy Rossum played young Audrey Hepburn in that. And uh, her first leading role uh, was uh, just the year before this version of The Phantom of the Opera. It was a film with Dennis Quaid and Jake Gyllenhaal. Some of you may know from things like Brokeback Mountain. The Day After Tomorrow, it was sort of an apocalypse film where the next Ice Age was coming a little bit ahead of the schedule. Yeah, that's where they had a chase scene between humans and and freezing cold. Mm. It was actually a chase scene. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, who was the lady toppy that was the diva in this film? Carlotta, which uh, our friend Tommy posted in the chat room was his favorite character in this film. Many Driver? Mm-hmm. Yeah, London born. Uh, well, actually, she was partially raised in Barbados, which is an exotic isle. Uh, she, be- she began acting in films in the mid-90s. Uh, Goodwill Hunting is maybe one of the first things you might have seen her in with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. That was a good movie. Uh, in the next five years uh, before Phantom, oh, she did like six movies, uh, film a year. And uh, after Phantom, uh, she was uh, cast in uh, a season, a couple seasons of uh, an FX a, a, a television series called The Riches. Oh, yes. Eddie, Eddie Ezzard was in that. Yeah. Now, uh, this is something that I managed to catch, Toppy. And uh, just quite shortly, they play con artists on this show. There's a, uh, a, a collection of individuals who, for one reason or another, decide to pretend that they're a family. None of them are related. They're all carried by the winds. And they decide that they can um, get by more easily if they pretend to be a family. So they managed to do that for two seasons, and it's quite brilliant with Eddie Izzard as the husband. Yeah, how did he do um, in an acting role? How do you think he did? I think he did quite well. Um, you know, he uh, they, they basically moved into a house that was vacant, in one of those well-to-do neighborhood suburbs. And um, I I guess uh, something had happened to the owners. Maybe they had passed on, but they assumed their identities. And the guy even goes to work and takes the the, uh, homeowner's job pretending to be him because he was so important at his company, nobody really had much to do with him in person. (laughs) Ah. <laughs> so yes, the the riches uh, from uh, oh goodness, when was this? I, I want to say that it was in the early two thousands. It was on FX, and I was sad to see that it got canceled after a couple seasons. But you know, as they say, if it's something you like, you better watch it because they're gonna cancel it. Mm-hmm. DJ, why do you think? Why did this? capture our imagination so much so well 
in uncountable versions. What What is it about the story? Like most good stories, it has elements that appeal to everyone. Opera houses in their time, they were where people went. If you had money, you know, it, it, it wasn't for everybody. But there was no TV then. You went to the theater to take your mind off of the world's problems of the day. And sometimes... You know, the, 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 the latest tragedies were turned into the plays that you saw on the stage. There, there. I think I think that's the the pinhead right there. Mm-hmm. This is a a tragedy, this story. And tragedies do pretty well in our minds. Um, and they they make up a whole lot of stories that we know. And this was a great one. Um, the phantom wooed this woman in a very mysterious, haunting way, and she gave in to at least at some point to some degree um, before she was horrified by him and rejected him. Um, and that story just seems to really stick. Um, with with people um and i I think it's the tragic nature of it and also uh, absolutely it has to be the gothic romance of it all and the 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 paris uh, the 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 sewers under paris and the and uh, the gaslight and the candles and you just it, it was really a gothic romantic um, splurge that just, you know, captivated people. So I, th- I think that's why I think it's that magnetic thing that the Phantom had for the woman and the way she, we feel sympathy for the Phantom. And uh, because of his appearance, she, she has a moment of, of great horror and rejection of him. Yeah. There's a lot of symbolism too, of course, since, it's it itself is a play within a play. So t- um, well, we're we're gonna have to wrap up here pretty soon. Yeah. So um, I I'd recommend it. I I think I I think this was worthy of of the play. I do too. And you know, I think that if someone has not seen a production, which I'd be interested to find out actually if there are still productions of this, because um, a few years back there was a filmed version of the play performed in London on the anniversary of the play, the 25th anniversary. And it was at the Royal Albert Hall. And uh, a couple of our listeners actually have suggested that might be something good to find. Um, but it's, I don't think it's on streaming. You'd have to actually rent or purchase a copy. But Yeah, and I think what you're saying that um, this thing, um, this version is, is actually a filmed Ver, uh, they, they filmed the play on stage. Right. So what I mean to say is that this Phantom of the Opera from 04 actually makes me interested in seeing a production of the play just so that I could see, you know, how someone else may play those roles. It is a good film. It makes me want to see it again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, I mean, it has all the music 
that draws you in, you know, that's so popular with Phantom of the Opera. It's got all, all that wonderful music. So awesome. Yeah. So before we um, let you guys know what's coming down the pike, we're going to let you know uh, some uh, other programs you might enjoy if Phantom of the Opera 2004 was your cup of tea. This is what we call your our snack tray because it's, uh, it's what's left on your tray, your favorite little nibbles. So I'll go first. Uh, if you enjoyed Phantom of the Opera by uh, Joel Schumacher, I think another film that you might enjoy, it's, uh, it's not quite as appreciated. It's not top performer at the box office. Just this last year, there was a film made of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats, and it starred James Corden and Judy Dench. Now, this film is widely criticized only because there is some computer animation that's been done in the film, because according, mm. you're sticking live actors' faces on anthropomorphic furry people in costumes. And there's one or two scenes where Dame Judy Dench decides she didn't want to wear the gloves and you see her human hands. Okay. They could have fixed that in post-production, but anyways. <laughs> and post-production, they put in their bungholes. Anyways, exactly. that's just what I heard. So I would recommend yeah. Cats from, actually it was 2019, and then just a quick aside. Wait a minute, um, wait a minute. I want to know if you're recommending the the musical on stage, or you're oh, recommending no. that movie. This is the movie, Cats. Okay. And it, it, right. uh, unlike Phantom, where it's basically the play performed on a movie, this is an entire movie based upon the play with live action, but the, they're people in cat suits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, James Corden yeah. and Judy Dench. Now, a uh, quick aside: um, the the ex wife of Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber, Sarah Brightman, who uh, Christine. He's got a lot of ex wives. Yes, uh, as someone with money might have. But yeah. uh, another film that I'd recommend, if you like uh, Phantom is a film that came out in 2008, and uh, this has a pop culture icon in it, Miss Paris Hilton. Well, you get to watch her meet her demise. And in 2008, I would recommend Repo, the genetic opera. This is a future where people have gained the ability to replace their organs as they fail, mostly on the black market, but people take out loans to replace their body parts. And if you miss a payment, well, there could be a uh, shadowy figure in the alley waiting to take it back, whether or not you're still alive. And uh, Sarah Brightman gets to play a character who is an opera diva named Blind Mag. And she ends up being, spoiler, the aunt of the main character. It's a delightful film. It is a musical, Repo, the Genetic Opera. And it has one of the stars from Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series, The Principal. Um, And his name is, let me see, it's Anthony Head. Okay. All right. Well, excellent. My recommendation is to go right back to 1925 and watch the silent version 
of Phantom of the Opera by Universal with Lon Chaney. Um, and most of the, uh, well, um, yeah, I think any production you're going to find on uh, Captured Today um, I, I is going to have some uh, musical accompaniment along with the original picture. And it's stunning. Absolutely stunning. And certainly, if you enjoyed the story of Phantom of the Opera, you know, you should do yourself a favor. Get get down and see that 1925 silent movie. And, it, Phantom it, of the and Opera. it is available on streaming. I watched it recently, so I would recommend that as well. So, All right. All right. So, Toppy, will you go ahead and do me a favor? Grab that bag that our magician friend left behind. An early to mid-70s action, adventure, television series brought to you by the producer of The Mod Squad and later the early Star Trek feature films. A test pilot's life is saved when a top-secret government project reinvents him with modern science and he's put to work as an agent during the height of the Cold War. Lee Majors... Our next feature is going to be the $6 million man. I loved it when it was on. Who doesn't want to see uh, Lee Majors uh, punch uh, Bigfoot in the face? There you go. (laughs) And all that chest hair. All righty. I made a joke recently about the $6 million man. My sister had knee replacement surgery, and I told her that she had the Lindsay Wagner treatment. And I oh. said that her husband needs to up his game because if he's going to be Lee Majors, he better get some track suits. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What did that famous couple on the radio say when it was time to say goodbye? Well, uh, uh, well, she said, uh, goodnight, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live the first and third Friday of each month. Go to univazpods.net, click the tower for audio, enter Discord for chat. You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Tweet us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Join our Facebook group. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a future show or just want to message us? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. Oliver. This has been an Alibug production. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univazpods.net.